It's good to have Reverend Phil Smart with us. He is representing World Hope. World Hope is the compassionate ministry arm of the Wesleyan Church, and they serve all around the world in all different capacities. Um, everything from water to uh, helping those victims that have had arms and legs blown off in war. Uh, to the ministry that we contribute to, which is the anti-trafficking women and girls all around the world that are uh, caught up, many of them sold, many of them uh, forced into lives that we can't even begin to comprehend. And World Hope has a ministry of, of, of reaching these girls and rescuing them and restoring them and helping them to have hope that comes through Jesus Christ. And we have had the privilege over this past year of partnering with World Hope in that way. So your mission giving has contributed to saving girls around the world. Uh, Phil has, as I said, is with World Hope. He's also been a missions pastor and he's also been a missionary. So he's seen this from just about every angle. And uh, we appreciate his friendship and his ministry uh, through World Hope. So we invite him to come this morning and I trust that you will give him your attention. But most of all, give God your attention and let him speak to you through his ministry. Thank you, Phil. Good morning. A few months back, I was reminded of why I work for World Hope and what we do. I was in Chicago, in the airport at Chicago O'Hare, and I was getting ready to board a flight. And I travel a lot and get to speak in many places, so I get aboard Group One. I'm a frequent flyer, and it always makes me feel important, you know. And I was there waiting to be first on the airplane and board first and get up, be able to put my luggage in the, up, in the compartments above and all that. But before even those in group one board, if you've traveled a lot, you'll know what happens. They say, first of all, any families with children under two, you can board now. And then we wait. And then they say, now are there any elderly and disabled? They can board next. So they get on and we wait. Then they say, is there any military in uniform? And they get to board. Well, in this particular flight, there were two soldiers there standing next to me, and they were in their uniform, and so they boarded first before me. And even though I like to board first, I think that's a good thing. That's the way we honor them, so that's, that's wonderful. My oldest son is in the Air Force, and so I applaud that. And so they went on. Well, finally, it was my turn. So I boarded the airplane and settled down in a chair, two seats in back of these soldiers. And we left, and we were on our way to San Diego, a fairly long flight. And on the trip, it became obvious that these soldiers were getting a lot of favored attention. It seems like the flight attendants kept coming up and giving them, giving them all kinds of food and drink. And the pilot even came out of the, the cockpit and shook their hands and said something to them. I couldn't tell what it was. And again, that's great, but I thought it was a little odd. I hadn't seen that before. Well, we landed in San Diego and we were taxiing to the jet bridge. And we stopped just short of the jet bridge. And the pilot came on the intercom and says, Ladies and gentlemen, please remain seated. We want to honor a fallen hero. 
And they opened up the door and actually put the, chair, uh, the stairs down onto the tarmac. We looked out the left side of the windows and there were about a dozen soldiers at attention. And there was a hearse there. And uh, these soldiers got up and we assumed it was a family friend. And, you know, we applauded and everything and kind of had teary eyes and such. And they left and went down there to be with their loved one. They brought the uh, doors back up and we taxied the last few feet and got off the airplane. While well, I was reflecting upon that, walking to get my bags at the baggage claim, and I thought, you know, that, that was nice. That was a way we were able to honor that sacrifice. You know, he was mourned, or he, she, it was mourned and honored, seen, remembered, made that sacrifice significant, and that was, that was good. But then I remembered why I was in San Diego, and I was there to speak on World Hope and speak about children and families, victims, and those without water and such, who necessarily not, aren't remembered. They're forgotten. They're not seen. They're kind of invisible, whose deaths aren't mourned or lifted up, and they die of hunger and disease and are victimized, the forgotten ones. And that's who World Hope works with. We work for those people over there that we never will see, most likely, and we need to honor them too. And that's what you do. You're giving through this compassion ministry, part of Wesleyan work. That's what you're giving. You're giving life. You're making these people known. You're giving them hope. You mourn them even when they do pass away. You know, as your compassion partner, World Hope, we eradicate poverty. We build water wells. We uh, help with sustainable agriculture and work. We empower the vulnerable through uh, child sponsorship. We help children go to school. We create jobs, provide training, and offer health. Uh, we embrace and enrich the lives of those who are hurting and marginalized through these anti-trafficking efforts that you all give to. You all touch the lives of people. That's what you do. You know, you, you're able to help provide rescue centers. We offer operate a couple rescue centers where victims who are taken out of trafficking, they're able to go to these rescue centers and stay as long as they need to to be recuperated to where they can go back in society. You're helping to provide training for border guards between Liberia and Cambodia, between Thailand and Cambodia. And that's uh, so where they'll be able to recognize trafficking when it takes place. Your giving helps provide two mobile units and hotlines to where people can report trafficking and they can come in and help. You know, you even, it's interesting, I mean it's sad, but it's interesting that uh, the FBI only works in America, right? But we work with the FBI in the Philippines because that's where 95% of child pornography is made. And Americans, sadly, are almost 99% of the consumers. And so we're actually working with them there. The FBI goes and they raid one of these production studios and then we take the children and the young ladies out and, uh, and uh, work with them to rehabilitate and recuperate them. So that's what you're doing. So I want to thank you this morning for being our partners. Okay, thank you for investing in lives around the world. Well, what I want to talk about a little bit more this morning is about signs and symbols. Signs that communicate things. Now... I'm probably older than most of you all here, but in my day growing up, there was a song and it went like this. Signs, signs everywhere are signs. Blocking out the scenery, breaking my mind. Do this, don't do that. Can't you read the signs? You remember that? Anybody else? You remember those? Got this one center up here. But, you know, in that day, 
that song, it was a protest song. You know, it was like anti-authority, anti-against-the-man, that kind of thing. It was a protest. But signs can be positive. Signs can point us to directions that are true. Webster, the dictionary, says signs can teach us what is truth or can show us the way what is true. So we're going to look just a little bit in some of the signs in the Bible, some of these subtle signs at times that are placed throughout the Bible that can show us how we here in Clearfield and Hyde can participate in this 21st century reality we live in and why we should maybe be concerned about these people way over there who I talked about at the beginning of, of this, this message. But to help us begin to think a little bit and get your minds going, let's take a look at a few signs. This first one, very familiar, FedEx, right? How many of you have seen, though, the little, between the bottom of the E and the X, how it makes an arrow in white? You see that? Just a subtle reminder that FedEx gets it there quickly without saying it. What about this next one? Everybody knows Amazon and the smile, but the smile was really put there to remind us subtly that you can get everything from Amazon from A to Yeah. Now, I grew up at Baskin and Robbins ice cream. I'm not sure if they're around here or not. But they were the first chain of ice creams to offer lots of flavors. And so in their sign, they remind us, because how many flavors did they offer? Yeah. And so even today, they remind us, you know, we can get all kinds of ice cream at Baskin and Robbins. And then this last one. I love Tostitos. But they want to create the idea that if you eat Tostitos, it's a party. It's a fiesta, right? And so instead of the T's, who are, those are really two men, aren't they? With, instead of an I, top of I, it's a little salsa bowl, and they're dipping a chip into the salsa bowl. So subtly reminding us that with Tostitos, it's a party. It's a fiesta all the time. So signs can mean things. They can direct us. They can express, express subtle understandings for us. Well, that's what we find in the Bible lots of times. There are signs from the beginning to the end that show us how we should live, how we need to approach those who are hurting, how we need to approach those who may seem insignificant to us, who are living clear across, clear across the way, how we can bring the kingdom of heaven to people in poverty, how we can bring the kingdom of heaven to those who are trafficked, to the least of these. Now there's signs, of course, that point to conversion and spiritual transformation through faith and belief. But we're going to look at a couple of the holistic signs, the holistic signs that point to the physical and spiritual way we react to people. So let's take a look at just a couple. First of all, we have the signs that point to the fact that we're to be a blessing to all the nations. Now when God made this whole thing, created this whole thing that we, we are a part of today. We find it in Genesis. And he comes to Abraham. And if you remember your story in the Bible, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And your descendants will be as numerous as what? Stars the sky and the sands in the sea. But he goes on. He says, I'm making you into this great nation. Then he continues and says, so that all nations will be blessed through you and you will be a blessing to all the nations. That's why I'm creating this great nation. And then he comes to um, Isaac later, a couple chapters later, and says the exact same thing. Isaac, I'm creating a great nation who will represent me so that you will be a blessing to all the nations. Then he says the same thing to Jacob and throughout the Old Testament. Now you might say, okay, well, that's the Old Testament, but what does the New Testament say? You know, we're the kind of the Gentile, we're this new church. 
Well, in the New Testament in Acts and Galatians it says that now we, talking about us now, right? The church today. It says now we are heirs to Abraham's promises. And we are to be a blessing to all the nations. So we were created, at least according to the subtle messages we see in the Bible, to be a blessing to the nation. That's one of the reasons God created this church, who we are today. So that's who we're supposed to be, a blessing to all the nations and care about those around. Number two, we see signs that point to how we should live through Jesus' own words. And these are real familiar with you all, and, uh, but we're going to look at them anyway. First one we find is in Luke 4.18. Now we don't know much about Jesus' life for the first 30 years, right? There's not much in the, in the Bible we know about it. Then all of a sudden it kind of bursts, he bursts on the scene at age 30 or so, and then we have the chronicle for the next three years. Well, like a politician, if someone was going to run for your city council or for the governor of Pennsylvania um, and you didn't know anything about him, probably the first thing they would do when they say, hey, I'm going to be your next governor and here's what I stand for. He would offer up his, or he or she would offer up their platform, right? Here's what I believe. Here's what I stand for. This is what I'm all about. Well, we kind of see this with Jesus. We haven't heard from him, know hardly anything about him. And all of a sudden in Luke 4.18... He goes to the synagogue and they invite him up to speak. And in a sense, he shares his platform. This is what he's about. So this is kind of the first things he says. In Luke 4.18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then we have another very well-known part of Scripture. And um, it's kind of a warning. In Matthew 25, we have a situation where the disciples were coming to him and saying, Lord, how do we know, how can we know we're going to be with you in heaven? Now, how can we know we're going to rule with you? They wanted to rule. They didn't really understand the whole concept of the kingdom of heaven at this point. But they wanted to be at his side. They wanted to be part of this thing that he was doing. They wanted to live with him in heaven. They said, how can we know? And he answered in Matthew 25. He says, here's how you can know if you did this. And he tells this story. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So he's saying, Okay, here's how you can know you're going to be with me in heaven. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now I love this part because the disciples are probably thinking, well, we never saw you in those situations. How can we get to heaven? And then the Bible says, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invited you in? Or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. 
So we see a couple signs here in the Bible that point to how we know we can have eternal life. How we know we're doing His will. Why we should be concerned about people around the world. What it means to bring the kingdom of heaven to here today in this earth. But there's another component too we see subtly throughout the whole word of God. And that's built on the word justice. Justice. Now let me illustrate this with a, a little story that happened to me. We live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, my wife and I. My middle son lives in Chicago. It's about three and a half hours away. And so every few months we try to drive over and visit him. We stay the day. He just lives in a little dinky place so we don't spend the night. We stay the day and then just drive back late that night after a nice visit. Well, a few years ago we were there and uh, we'd spent the day and uh, enjoyed visiting with him. Well, he works for a company called Career Builder. And Career Builder, they were inviting their employees to run the Chicago Marathon and raise money for the youth centers of Chicago, some urban youth centers, a good cause. Well, he had told us that earlier in the day. And we were just getting ready to leave, my wife Leanne and I. And right before we left, she says, Dad, I got a great idea. I said, what is it, son? He says, why don't you run the Chicago Marathon with me? And I go, son, that's the stupidest thing that's ever come out of your mouth. How could you do that? He's just dumb. Well, he gave me this kind of sad look like, why would you talk to me like that? You know, my wife kind of gave me that same sad look, you know. And I said, that's just stupid. I could never run that. I'm a musician, and I've never done sports hardly at all except a leisurely ga game of golf pretty much. And so I'm not a runner. I don't know anything about that. Where he, he had run cross country in high school and college, and he had swum, swam the 500 meters and that kind of thing. He was an endurance person, so he was going to do it. And so one more time, he said, Dad, why don't you do this? I said, no, that's just stupid, dumb idea. No way. Well, we got in the car, and we began our trip back to Grand Rapids. And God began to speak to me like he does to a lot of us men through our wives. <laughs> so about an hour into this journey, Leanne looks at me and says, Phil, you know, I think you should run that marathon. I said, huh, I could never do that. That's dumb. I'm 57 years old. I can't do that. She says, you know, Phil, you've been saying that you want to spend more time with your son, Kevin. This would be a great opportunity. Hmm. About another hour into the journey, my wife says, you know, Phil, you've been saying you want to get in really good physical shape. This would be a great opportunity. I go, hmm. <laughs> Finally, we're almost back to Grand Rapids, and she says, you know, Phil, <laughs> you've been telling me that you want to get involved in another charitable type of work in addition to what you do at the church. This would be a great opportunity. So I said, okay, Lord, okay, finally, I'll do it, I'll do it. But I had no clue what to do, right? I'd never done this before. All I knew that I had to run. So I'd come home from work every night, and I'd start running around the block, then twice around the block, then three times around the block. And about six weeks had passed, and I was hurting. My knees were hurting, and legs, and ankles, and my back, and... And I was all just like I was going to die. And I remember one night I came home. I had somehow or another ran eight miles. And I said, Lord, you know, take me now because I'm going to die. I just can't do this. And this is what I looked like. <laughs> but I prayed about it. And God kind of reminded me. He said, Phil, you live in the 
greatest country in the world with the most resources available to you. Why don't you take advantage of them? So I began to talk to people. I went to some physical trainers and therapists and runners who had done that. I looked at videos. I started reading books. I, I, I took running resources. I bought a very expensive pair of running shoes and a very, very, very expensive pair of second running shoes. I used compression socks and knee braces and even when I got injured I went to a special emergency room for runners and got recuperated. I started guzzling ibuprofen by the bottle. I went to a special gym that concentrated on running, had family support and encouragement, and after nine months, my son and I finished the marathon under five hours. So, but then that got me thinking. I began to think, well, why should I have the resources to do something just because I want to, like run a marathon, even when I shouldn't be able to, while others... For no thought, through no fault of their own, just because where they're born, maybe, don't have resources to even have a good meal on their table, don't have resources to go to school, don't have resources to survive. Where's this theme of justice that the Bible talks about, like in Micah 6.8, where he says, I've shown you what is good and what is required of you, to do what is right, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Where's the justice the Bible speaks of? Now imagine, in contrast, Sri Ra. Sri Ra's a young girl of 13, lives in rural Cambodia. Her uncle lives next door and rapes her. In that culture, they think it's Sri Ra's fault. They send her away. She's banned because the family doesn't want to lose face. She has nowhere to go, so she goes to Phnom Penh, the, the capital city where there are no resources. There are no YMCAs. There are no food shelters. There are no food stamps. There are no food banks. There are no soup kitchens. There's no social nets or social services to rescue her. If she gets sick, she can't go to an emergency room. She can't go to a physical therapist. She can't go to a doctor. There's no one to help. She can't buy ibuprofen. There's no medications available for her when she needs it. With barely anything to wear, there are no thrift stores to give her clothing. No one who cares. She's hungry. Only brothel workers will take her in, where she has to service up to 12 to 14 clients a day. Where's the justice that God speaks of when someone at 57 that has no business of running a marathon can run a marathon, and a 13-year-old girl cannot have food, cannot have friendship, cannot have love, cannot have resources. Where's God's kingdom in this? Well, in this case, there's good news. Fortunately, World Hope in this particular situation has representatives that scour these areas looking for victims. They find Sri Roth, invite her to our rescue center where she comes. She spends six months there learning skills to survive. They start teaching school classes again. She also learns about a personal God, Jesus, who loves her and is not ashamed of her. But there's more good news. While this is going on, World Hope sends personnel to the village with the police. The uncle is arrested, and the family is counseled, and the neighbors are counseled that this isn't Sri Ra's fault. This was the uncle's fault. And they get to a point where they're ready to invite her back home and embrace her again. But there's probably some cynics here. You're saying, well, but I could see that just cyclical. It could probably happen again. 
And it could. Maybe that family has more children and they can't afford to keep them all. And so others get sent off maybe to the city. But there's more good news. World Hope goes back later to the same village and puts a water well in. Now the villagers have clean water. They're healthier. They're more productive. They're able to have two crops a year instead of one. Because of that, they're able to put food on the table. They're able to send their kids to school. They're able to keep all of their kids. But there's more good news. Because of the goodwill generated through this water well, this Buddhist community is open to the gospel. And a Bible study is started in Sri Ra's home. And she and her family come to belief and faith in Jesus Christ. As Paul Harvey used to say, that's the rest of the story. And that's good news. You know, the longer I live, the more convinced I am that the gospel is holistic. It's about evangelism and spiritual growth, but it's just as much about justice and flourishing all people, being a voice to those that have no voice, advocating for those whom Jesus advocated. Let's take a look at this video. So we began the walk down that dusty road. My heart and mind could not comprehend what my eyes were seeing. There are wooden structures on each side of that road with white plastic chairs on a porch and children sitting in those chairs for sale. So the four of us joined hands on a corner. I had just started World Hope. World Hope consisted of me, a computer, and a desk, and a parsonage bedroom. The other two women and the missionary. So here was this weak group, really, three old ladies and a tired old missionary. Hope International believes that every child deserves a childhood free from sexual exploitation and that God answers prayers and transforms lives. So we're not surprised that from the prayers of four people on a street corner in Cambodia, a vision took root. A vision that more than a decade later has touched the lives of more than 1,000 sexually trafficked and raped girls and helped them begin their journey towards healing and wholeness. Now a flourishing program, World Hope International's Assessment Center is the first and only center of its kind in Cambodia. The Assessment Center combines two main functions that work cohesively. They are security and assessment. Security ensures that each victim receives protection in a safe and home-like environment. Assessment begins as the social workers and counselors work with victims to evaluate their physical, psychological, and medical needs. Every effort is made to reintegrate victims with their families, or when this is not suitable, to find the long-term care provider that best meets their individual needs. As we celebrate the 10th anniversary of the Assessment Center, we realize that ours is a task that is never finished. There are more girls needing the refuge and healing offered behind our walls. Without an assessment center, the risk for survivors of returning to a community where they will remain vulnerable to being re-victimized is high. What World Hope is able to do is actually understand the needs of each individual and then uh, seek to refer to services that are going to meet that individual's needs. It's a big job and a costly investment, but an investment that yields the priceless gift of lives and hopes restored. Please, 
give generously and pray fervently. Together, we have the power to ensure that the center stays open for years to come, and that girls victimized by sexual exploitation and rape have the opportunity to live lives full of dignity and promise. These are the signs in the Bible. These are the people Jesus spoke of in Matthew 25. And these are the people that you all are touching. You guys are impacting those lives. Um, you know, we make choices, choices every day. Each morning when we get out of bed, we decide to go to work or to school or not. We make choices. We need to make a choice to be an advocate again who, for those whom Jesus advocated. Uh, we need to do it together. You know, we are thankful for your gifts because World Hope has no money of its own. We rely on gifts of you, our partners. Um, you know, remind me, I was traveling in the Amish country the other day, and I was going a little too quick, and I was going left and right around the curved roads, loving the curved roads, but I was going quicker and quicker and quicker, and slid right off into a ditch. Luckily, farmer saw me and brought his blind mule, Elmo, out to pull me out of the ditch. Well, we hooked up to the car and stood back, and the farmer yelled, Pull, Jethro, pull! Well, nothing happened. He yelled, pull, Amos, pull. Still nothing happened. Pull, Esther, pull. Nothing happened. Finally, he yelled, pull, Elmo, pull. And with a mighty tug, Elmo pulled my car right out of the ditch. Well, I was grateful, but I was a little perplexed at the same time. So I went back and said, thank you so much for helping me out today, but why did you have to shout out all those other names? Farmer said, listen, if Elmo thought he'd have to do it all by himself, he wouldn't have even tried. <laughs> I'm here because we need your help. <laughs> we need your partnership. My prayer is that as you go about your day and you see signs and billboards along the highway, let those signs remind you of the signs in the Bible, the signs of justice, the signs of helping the least of these. And then pray and give joyously as, as you all do in this church. So I'm grateful for that. And as heirs to the promises of Abraham, let us be a blessing to all the nations. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here with you. Thank you, Phil. And we thank God for the privilege that we have to partner in the small way that we do with World Hope and the work that they are doing, especially in this area of anti-trafficking. And the thing that struck me, I guess the most, especially even in watching that little video, is that sometimes we even hear the word anti-trafficking and we many times think of grown women and, and many times it is grown women. But so many of them are children. Those are children in those pictures that you saw. Children like we had come in here <laughs> and collect our, our Penny March offering. And we don't realize the, the ones that suffer, not only around the world, but sometimes in our own backyard. And we just pray that God will use, continue to use uh, World Hope and continue to use you and me to reach out and touch our world for Jesus Christ. We're going to stand and be dismissed. And again, I remind you to 
pray over your commitment card for next week, and I trust that you will be able to hear God's voice and be obedient to it. If you want to go on out. Father God, we just thank you this morning for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for World Hope and all that they have been able to do in impacting men and women, boys and girls' lives around the world in a compassionate way that allows them then to be able to listen and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We think, dear Lord, of all those young girls that are being trafficked that World Hope reaches out to. Lord, I pray that you would be continue to give opportunity for World Hope to rescue and save and restore and give hope to those young girls. Dear Lord, I pray that you would be with Phil as he leaves and goes and shares other places and all that you have for his life. I just pray you would keep your hand upon him. And dear Lord, I pray for us. Dear Lord, help us to not shirk off the realization of our responsibility. You have blessed us. We are a blessed people. And you didn't bless us just so that we can enjoy our blessedness, but you blessed us so that we could bless the nations. And Lord, I pray that you would use us. Help us to be obedient, help us to be faithful, and we, dear Lord, give of ourselves, and we give of that which you have given to us. And we believe that you're going to touch many, many people around the world through our obedience. We pray that you would go with us this week, and as we go, there's going to be opportunities to be your hands and feet, to be your voice, to be your presence. Oh God, may we be faithful. We ask it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to greet Phil, he's out in the lobby. You're, you're welcome to stop and chat with him.